Welcome, Dr. James Beckett here with Mike Stiebline. This baseball card life, I'm looking forward to hearing how all that got started, his origin story and how he enjoys the hobby. Thanks sponsors, Topps Panini Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Harvey Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Mike, welcome to the show. We talked about the Baseball Card Hall of Fame that you're integrally involved now on in your technology background, but how did you get started? My dad bought me a penny pack in 1956, <laughs> and the rest is history. So how did you get started? And- well, it's great to be with you today, Dr. Beckett. And like many collectors, including yourself, my dad got me started collecting. He said you started collecting in 1956, but I started actually 30 years later in 1986. I was six or seven years old at the time. Every summer I played baseball and playing baseball was a big influence on me collecting. Almost all my teammates collected baseball cards and my book bag always carried my trapper keeper full of baseball cards. And my mom was always trying to get me to collect and read more books. The only thing I really liked to read was your Beckett Baseball Card Monthly. The authors I really idolized from 7 to 12 were uh, guys like uh, Richard West, Taylor Crane, Don Loving, Scott Wolf, Jim David, Joe Posnanski, and the list could go on and on. These are all authors. It it is on and on, but I mean, basically, those are some really wonderful names from the past. And I've got a story for most of those, but uh, this is going to be your story. But Joe Posnanski has gone on to pretty pretty black flame is that I don't know that we gave him his start, but we had a lot of young writers that went on to to do wonderful things. I think he did that series of the best of what they do Mm -hmm. where he took position by position. Cool. Okay. So you enjoyed the specific writers. So you really read the magazine, not just did the price guide. Cool. Yeah. I literally have every baseball card monthly from 1984 to 2001. It's just part of my collection. I just Love opening those up and seeing 80s glasses and just how the whole industry just evolved. How it evolved, yeah. Yeah. This is, we have this in common because in my background, audio podcast, but behind my wall of fame are the bound volumes of all the baseball and really all the magazines. But above my ear is where (laughs) baseball starts and they're bound in different colors. I think red is baseball. You can see it just barely peeking out there, but there's many volumes because it covers all the years that I owned the company. So I'm with you. That's And I, yeah. I'll look back at them and you see the evolution of the covers and the articles and the, the design and the print along with the cards and mm-hmm. the complexity. So, well, that's cool. I, I, yep. And then when I was 12 years old, my family moved for the third time to a town in uh, Ohio, Mansfield, dead center in Ohio. I really struggled at 12 years old, making some friends and stopped playing baseball. I really regret that now, but really what helped my loneliness was the opening of this new baseball card shop about a mile from my house. And my younger brother at the time, we frequented this shop so much that the owner finally asked us if we wanted an after-school job. And this was 1993. And of course we said yes. And I worked in the small garage converted card shop for seven years from 13 to 20. This card shop was called Sports Center Cards. Can you believe that? You didn't get sued by ESPN either. We had an LCS experience, which is... Yep. You know. I still have the business card, actually, in one of my boxes. Okay. In 2000, I quit to go finish you know, college. And then... Were you still playing baseball? Or were you, were you playing sports or mainly expressing it by being a fan and a collector? I was a fan and collector. I, I had finished playing. And then my parents had this storage unit 
in this field area. I literally just stored my cards in there for literally 17 years. It was just forgotten about. Then in October of 2017, I ran across a baseball card video on YouTube and it just started my collecting again. I connected with Ray and Victor and all these other guys and just have loved it. Were you searching for a video or was it presented to you as a pop-up or something? It was connected because I would uh, look for YouTube videos just on baseball and the algorithm somehow put in baseball card. So I connected with it that way. Yep. Then I went to the 2018 National in Cleveland and met some of the YouTubers there that I was watching. They encouraged me to start a channel. I did that in December of 2018, which is now my YouTube channel, This Baseball Card Life. Took it from the podcast called This American Life, which is really popular. And I did a little spin on that. And I named it because I can't remember a time in my life that I haven't owned baseball cards. So it's my baseball card life. Yep. What's the gist of what you're doing? Why would people watch? Are they being entertained or informed or educated or just having a good time? More, more educated. I don't open a lot of packs. I don't do a lot of hot topics. It's just, here's some cards I just picked up. I really like. I'm working on a registry or I'm building a set. Like this year, I want to do the 64 Tops Giant set. I'm working on that. And do you mean working on it in a terms of a registry of getting a graded examples or just completing the set raw? Just completing the set raw. Yeah. But uh, my dream set is going to take me a long time is the 51 Bowman set. That's the one I, I want to get all graded, all 324. I know the grading expense is a lot, but my expertise in uh, 50s cards and knowing that I'm buying a card that's real is pretty low. That's why I want Beckett or SGC or PSA to say, yeah. We think this is a real card and this is what its grade is and condition. That's why I want to do the graded route. Okay. Are you going to be looking for threes, fives, sevens? Depend on the the player. Depends on, is appeal more important than the number grade or how do you approach that? I appeal is really number one and price is uh, number two. I'm just looking for the best example that I can afford. Right now I have around 88 of the cards Okay. and all the cards are uh, well-centered. They don't have ink dots on them. There's no wax stains on the back. They're not miscut at all. Some of them I have graded are eight and a half, eights, a lot of well, sevens are, and sixes. Yeah. Oh, cards. Yeah. Now I have, I really have no problem with the kind of the gum stains on the back that are light gum stains. I know they get downgraded for that, but if a card is otherwise great on the front, do you have a mixed set? Because some people want to have a pure set. It's either all raw or all BGS or all PSA or all SGC. I have some that are raw and some that are SGC. I picked SGC because I love how the cards pop with the black, you know, tux background. That's really the main reason. Otherwise, it would be PSA or BGS. It wouldn't matter. But I do want a set that has that uh, pop look that SGC gives. So it's the price. I have about 60 cards that I need graded and at 30 bucks a pop, that's quite an investment. They were 75 bucks uh, a week ago or whatever (laughs) that was. That was pretty scary. Yeah. But to convince the wife to, to spend two grand on some grading services. Card, yeah. yeah. But I've joked that if you buy a card that's raw, that you perceive to be an eight, you've got to be very wary. On the other hand, if it's like a five and you buy it raw, most people are not doctoring cards to make them fives. They're not trimming mm-hmm. it to make it a five. They're trimming it to make it an eight or, or something that's closer to mint. So yeah. Many of the cards I've bought are from rep 
Real dealers like a Greg Morris cards, okay. you know them, or I'll just crack them out of other PSA holders and stuff like that. Especially if I'm spending so much on the PSA eight, you're, for example. And you're cracking it out. Yeah, I'm I'm that crazy guy. Okay, that, uh, well, that's, that doesn't make you crazy. It's just an exception to the rule. Um, mm-hmm. Most people are are not, but if it's a PSA eight, it's going to be a strong card, and it ought to be at least an SGC eight or a BGS eight. I would think yeah. so. Yeah, as long as it's pretty close, it's okay. Yeah. That's refreshing, Mike. Yeah, these cards I'm I want to keep for the rest of my life of this set. So I'm not well, doing it to flip just for my enjoyment. I have nine or ten of the 30 Hall of Famers right now. I think Mace and Mantle have both gone up pretty drastically in the last 15 months since COVID. So yeah. I, I feel for you there. I think it's even the ones and twos and threes are, are pretty pricey. And, and it, yeah. they're high numbers, they're tough, they're the condition is tricky on both those. Yep. You know, I have ones with print lines, and that's really frustrating. It's a quality control issue. So if you send them in for grading, you get crushed, and it's just a print line that happened to the factory. I didn't handle it, and they're frequently off-center. I have off-centered versions. So, so yeah, off-center, it probably bothers you, though, right? Yeah. Yes, it does. But I've really enjoyed working on this set, even have 88 of them in, in two years. I've read a lot about that generation. I'm a big fan, obviously, of the World War II generation. Okay. And yeah, my grandmother was born in 1918. So she knew a lot of that time. And I just love that era of our American history. And 51, it was already integrated in 47. So I just love 50s baseball. I read a lot of books about these players. I've connected with one of the players in the set or two of them, Bobby Chance, you know him, and then Eddie Robinson, who was in baseball for 60 years. He's the oldest. Is he still alive? Yeah, he's still alive. He's hundred. He's the oldest living mm-hmm. player, I think. Yeah, I TTM with him through the mail. He put two Mike, Eddie Robinson. I just love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep but, it forever. But you like uh, personalization. Then. Yeah, absolutely. Most people don't, but if they're interested in selling, they've got to sell to another Mike. I'm not trying to make money on it. That's refreshing, Mike. I'm I'm just saying that's an interesting way to do it. And I think players probably enjoy it. I don't do very many autographs, but when I personalize it, that's better. You've Mm -hmm. got to write an extra thing, but it it means the person wants it for themselves instead of to quickly Mm -hmm. sell it. Who's your favorite player then? So that's the set you're working on. Do you have any player registries or player collecting focus? or teams or anything? In the 90s, like thousands of young men, Ken Griffey Jr. was the man. He was the guy in the 90s with that beautiful swing. And yeah, I have a a few binders full of my childhood cards of uh, Ken Griffey Jr. So when you go to the national or a big show, are you mainly just looking for vintage cards? Are you uh, having a side eye for some Griffey stuff? Or anything else? Are you mainly focused on 51 Bowman? Right now, 51 Bowman. When I got back into collecting in October 2017, I was really just trying to get cards I couldn't afford in the 90s. And that was a lot of nicely conditioned 80s cards. The 84 Donners Mattingly, the Mall 85 Tops uh, Mark McGuire. And I got what I wanted. So then I moved backwards into the 50s. Yep. Well, that's what the classic approach was of the veteran collectors back in the day. Have you tried one of my close friends. He's not a sponsor of the show, but a close friend for many decades is Kit Young. Have you bought stuff from Kit Young cards? I, I think catalog. he's got okay. he very strong on uh, 50 stuff. He's a little bit older than me and he really specializes in the 50s and he's buying collections, buying sets, breaking them up. He and His catalog's free. He's got in the mail and he's got a website, but it's Kit Young cards. So that's a shout out for a friend of mine who's not a sponsor. All right. 
No charge. Wrote, <laughs> yeah, I just wrote that down. I will he's look him very, up for very, sure. Very, very, very reputable. He's got a strong team and, like I said, a close friend and somebody I would really trust. Are there any other dealers you particularly work with? Or when you go to a show, do they see you coming that they know you're a 51 Bowman guy? Or what's the dynamic there? No, I don't think I have a special relationship really with any of them right now. I just am one so of the guys do, with the Hall of Fame hat on. That's that's well, me. If you do, Kit Young or somebody like that is going to say, I know this customer is interested in this. When I get some new ones in, I'm going to let him know. And if it's okay. priced according. So there's some relational buying that does work for things like that. If you're going to be a consistent buyer and they offer you all the cards you need, you're going to say, that's not in my budget to buy them all. But uh, here's my budget for each month or whatever. And here's my priorities, the ones I'm really looking for the most. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just wouldn't want to be like a, a sucker, like this guy, he's going to pay top dollar. That's that's oh, that, what that, I'm not that, interested in. But if you're not saying that you are specific to any one grading company or any one particular grade, then you're still in control. You're sizing up the potential purchase as to, mm-hmm. do I want it at this price? Do I want this card at this price? So it's not buying the holder. It's not worrying about the current trends. It's this is the price I'd like to pay for this card that looks at least this good. Mm -hmm. My 51 Bowman was a tough set for me to complete, but I I did complete it. I have completed it and and it was fun. Actually, I I bought a collection somewhere in the Mansfield area. It's somewhere around Columbus Okay, when I was up in Bowling Green and it had a near set of 51 Bowman that really got me rolling. And at least one 51 Bowman wax box. There were no wrappers, but there, it was mm. in a box. And I got it from a collector from an ad that I ran in the newspaper. And that's before your time. Yeah. <laughs> I think before you were born. But anyway, great note to end on <laughs> before you were born. Making me, it was fun to buy cards in those days because they were a lot cheaper and days were simpler. So, Mike, Steve Line, thank you. Thanks for pitching in on the baseball card, the Hall of Fame, and, and the telling us your origin story. Enjoyed it. We'll be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man that-